Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future. Presented by Georgia Parkin and Charlotte Lorimer. This week we have another guest episode. Iona, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So we are joined by Iona Bain, who is the author of Spare Change and the founder of the Young Money blog. Mm -hmm. And we know of Iona and know Iona through both of our day jobs. So me through Starling Bank and Georgia through Debate Make Social Enterprise. And you were the chairperson of a debate earlier this year yeah that whole event i think yeah that's right which was quite a big undertaking but i loved it and um i'm such a huge supporter of what debate mate does yeah it's incredible brilliant what was the topic of the debate um is the concept of retirement dead yeah oh that's so (laughs) and it was i think i know who came up with that (laughs) i can hear it i can hear hear him in it well it was an inspiring motion um and you know seeing these 16 year olds talking about retirement was quite Mm. surreal but seeing how um articulate they were about it was really inspiring because Mm. you don't expect uh teenagers to be able to to grasp quite a lot of complicated ideas around retirement and pensions, but they did an amazing job. Yeah. So it gave me a lot of hope for the future. So we normally start each podcast with a question. What mm-hmm. has this week meant to you? Um, well, what it's meant to me is the opportunity to get out and talk to lots of young women about money, which it sounds weird because writing the Young Money blog, you would think that I would have that opportunity all the time. Mm. But recently I've been doing a lot of events within the financial industry, which is good because it means that I'm talking to financial companies about how they can connect much more with younger consumers. But you can go to these events and feel like the odd one out. Mm -hmm. And you can look out at the audience and not see many people like you in the audience. Whereas in the last week, I've I've had the privilege of going to various events. I was at uh, Refinery29's latest event with Laura Waitley, who's written uh, The Money Book. and uh, Which is absolutely brilliant for yeah. anybody who has had any questions about money. I've never, I've, I haven't heard of it all read it yet. Mm. It mm. is so good. It's so practical in mm. everything that it tells you mm. about. And it's all of those questions that I feel have been unanswered mm-hmm. that I almost feel too old to ask mm. in some yeah. ways because there's so much... There's so many emotions around money and it can become so shameful in so many ways. And until I read that chapter on investment, for example, I didn't actually understand what stocks and shares and bonds Mm. and Mm. what the difference was between all of that. So if anyone has questions on that or wants to know how to save money or how to budget, just this is the book for you. I guess think that people assume that everyone knows what they're talking about or what money, Mm. you know, they just do and then they stay silent and that's not great especially I think amongst women because we've Absolutely. not it's only very recently since we've had been able to make our own money and have our own property and have our own mm. you know so yeah. it's really great that the you're getting young women especially to be talking about this I think it's so powerful hence why we really are so grateful that you are joining us today yeah absolutely the first figure for this week is Iona <laughs> you are our figure um and i have so many questions that i want to ask you um and i think i'm going to begin with why finance <laughs> um where do i begin yes um the reason why this has ended up being my career um 
it's a bit of an accident. Um, as, as it often is. As it often yeah. is, actually. If you meet any financial writer or blogger, very few of them will say that they wanted to do it ever since they were young. Mm. Um, they do fall into it. And I trained as a musician originally. Mm. And then um, after I left university, I wanted to be a musician. Um, and I spent a few years doing it, but it was a struggle. You know, I think when you go through school and university and you're used to doing quite well, you're used to progress, um, you get this perception that adult life will just continue like that. Mm -hmm. And it was such a big wake-up call for me in my early 20s, um, realising that actually the world is not necessarily fair and it doesn't lay down before you and you are going to have to be very ingenious if you want to um, find a career that you enjoy that's yeah. going to pay the bills and you are also going to have to be really really careful with your money uh, because when I graduated it was just a few years after the recession mm -hmm. it was tough um, and I was really obsessed actually looking back now really quite paranoid about what I was earning how much my friends were earning whether I'd ever mm. be financially independent I had to move back home with my parents and so all these issues were on my mind and so as my musical career was stalling I started turning my attention to money and I thought mm. this is an area I really need to get to grips with and I know all my friends are dying to know more about this mm. and there's just not enough information about that whole subject out there so yeah it's talking. funny that you say that you kind of were talking to your friends about money and people were sort of I think that's a it's just that sort of extension of uh, that marker of success quote mm. unquote that mm. when you leave school what and you leave university what is that you know people talk about how much they earn or where they're working and that mm. can be a bit of a taboo subject but even Earlier on than that, I think, you know, you touched upon that you wanted to be a musician and that's mm. what you wanted to do at school. Yeah. I think a problem with the school system at the moment is that we are very much boxed into one vocational area or mm. subject mm -hmm. and you are very used to progressing in that way. Mm -hmm. And you do successfully, you get to university and that continues. And then suddenly work isn't actually, it's not like you leave school and you're like, okay, I'm going to do history now mm, or yes. on geography yeah okay well so how do we c convert those skills how are they transferable and arguably you know all of your experience as a musician will have played very nicely into mm. you know what you do now True. so it's mm. so interesting that you have that experience um yeah what type of musician were you um i started off as a classical musician mm -hmm. and then um i was writing songs in my spare time i suppose like a lot mm. of teenage girls using that as a way of yeah. therapizing about my um teenage problems and mm. then yeah, I started recording my songs at university and mm. after I left university, touring with bands and generally hoping that I could continue to live that dream for as long as possible. Mm. And I respect anybody's right after they leave university or leave school to go and do something that they just want to do for the hell of it mm. for a period of time. Because actually, if you don't do that, then you will always wonder what if. Yeah. And you do need to have a break as well from that very formal educational absolutely. system that you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, They can box it's you so in. so disciplined, it's so boxed in, mm. and I think so many people get to the end of it and think, actually, what am I even doing? I don't even know what I want to do. You, 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 it's almost <laughs> like you leave school and university and this whole notion of what your identity is it comes into contact with reality, it bumps up against it, mm. yeah. and you have to reinvent yourself. 
Yeah. And that can be a very painful process. Mm. But Or arguably not even reinvent, discover who you are. Indeed. Because I think Indeed. that you're just sort of, you're not really encouraged to do that. You're encouraged to just, okay, you need to be successful. You need to get this amount of GCSE, this amount of A-levels, you need to go to this university, you get this kind of degree. Mm. Where is... Where is in that the conversation of what you want to do and who yeah. you are? True, yeah. but then it's also about um, being open to those possibilities that, that you never thought you'd be suited to. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I never thought I would be doing what I'm mm. doing now. If, if you'd have told me as a 20-year-old mm. or as a 16-year-old, I would mm. have laughed. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but the fact that I am doing it now, it has pushed me beyond that comfort zone that mm. I set for myself and that actually very limited identity that I had for myself as being a musical person, a mm. creative person mm. who doesn't necessarily know how to, to manage money, who yeah. doesn't you know, know how to run a business, mm. run her own career. I, mm. I think all those notions would have seemed completely alien to me as a 20 mm. year old. So it's amazing now that I've adapted. What would you give yourself as a title? What it can be multi-hyphenate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this is it. I mean, I feel that I am very typical of that multi-hyphenate mm. um, identity. And I really struggle to describe what I do. Mm. So often I start by saying, I talk about young people and money that's mm. my one sentence description yeah. of what I do. I love that. That's great. Yeah, because yeah. it breaks it down to its bare bones. Immediately, I have a million questions. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone, <laughs> well, that's you know, true. A lot of people do. Yeah, this is the it's problem. Great. Then it, it begs yeah, more but it's questions. It's so interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and so in that you have your blog that you started. When did you start your blog? Um, I started it seven years ago. Oh my word. Mm. And at that time, there weren't that many financial blogs. There still aren't that many now. Mm. Um, so we looked, I mean, I was talking about what I was going to do next with my parents. And we got onto the subject of financial blogs and whether there was anything out there for young people. And we found out there wasn't. So that's why I started it. And even now, there isn't that much out there for the younger age groups. Um, lots of companies are obviously you know, wising up to that um, information gap and are doing their bit, which is great to see. Um, mm. But I still think there's a place for those independent voices like me. Yeah. And the great thing about the blog that I've managed to maintain is its non-profit independent stance. So I understand why a lot of people decide to make their blogs into advertising platforms or I understand why they monetize it from an early stage. But I always felt that the value of the blog was in being impartial and independent. Mm -hmm. And I just had confidence that over time I would be able to make that work financially. Mm. And it's about having a more creative approach to how you manage your career and not accepting conventional notions about yeah. what you need to do to earn a living. That's so hard to do, especially mm. when you've been through a conventional education system and that's what you've been told totally. yeah. you need to do is find a conventional and you've job. Had this path yeah. for if you are lucky enough to stay in education all the way through to university, mm. you've had this set out markers mm -hmm. of you do your up to GCSE, then you choose your GCSE subjects, then mm. you choose your sixth form subjects, then you choose your university subject if you're lucky enough to be able to do that and you want to do that. Yeah. And then you're out and there's no marker. No. It's, it's you you just have other than open... potentially a certain idea of oh like I have this a lot which is oh I probably shouldn't live with my parents or I should probably have this yeah. certain financial mm. yeah. bar where I should probably be earning this much or and it's like, well, actually, really? I mean, what are you really gaining from, from that? If you had to push yourself to move out of home and, and go to a certain financial marker, 
who's who's saying that you'd end up even in the right place or be gaining the experience that you need to but then you've just yeah. said it you've said financial marker mm. and in school it's all about educational markers yeah or, yeah and then your your career becomes so much money is such a huge part of it that you yeah. don't you're not talking to talk about in school at all yeah. not at all yeah i think it all comes back to the fact that we we are in a capitalist economy mm-hmm. um that requires citizens to go out and work in jobs and the higher paying those jobs the better because the mm-hmm. more taxes they pay and the more they consume so all the pressures that we face as young people um, are all um, part of that model. Absolutely. And what yeah. we have to suss out in our 20s as we make our own way in the world is how do we try to manage our lives in our own interests and have careers that make us happy? Because we do have to go out and, and, and do some form of work. Mm. Um, but we spend enough time at work, I would argue, that you know, you've got to try and find something that makes you feel fulfilled. If you can't, there's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't stigmatise people who haven't quite found what's right for them yet. But for me, it was all about finding something that was fulfilling as opposed to getting Mm. to the absolute maximum earning level at the earliest stage because that is just a recipe for misery. No, it is. And and was there a a moment where you decided, okay, I need to become freelance or was it an organic process? It was totally organic. Mm. I, I think that... You know, again, most freelancers fall into it rather mm-hmm. than make that very proactive decision. However, I'm a big advocate for you know being a positive ambassador for freelancing and mm. and not just um, talking about it in relation to um, women who've had children, say, right. and and who want to spend more time with their children. Obviously, it's a fantastic way for mums um, to carry on working, but I don't have children. And I've decided to go freelance earlier in my career, yeah. possibly in anticipation of that future event, but yeah. also just because I think that it should be made, there should be so much more awareness of it as a Absolutely. viable option for, mm. for young women. Especially as the future of the workplace is changing so yeah. much that we actually don't know what's Definitely. going to be the case in 20 years' time. And actually, it wasn't until, Shah, until you spoke about this in, t- in terms of, you know, seeing, you know, the next kind of 10, 20 years in your future and you're thinking oh I would love to do a bit of this I'd love to do this I'd love to do this course whereas for me I still in the back of my head you know this summer was just thinking okay I need to you know I still just assumed that my life would be in full-time employment until I had children yeah genuinely I, I just didn't think that there was another option and one of the reasons is because I think being in school and that sort of education program I think how am I gonna even organize my time and how am I even gonna you know, get the things done that I need, even though that sounds ridiculous, because Mm. of course as a freelance person, you're working for yourself, Mm. so those things are very important, but I just couldn't think of the practicalities around that, and I think people are very scared scared. of it. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, absolutely. So many people say to me, I I don't know how you you do it, because it requires so much discipline, Mm. um, and Mm. and you're your own boss, and and it all, Mm. you know, rests on you. And it's true, it's a lot of pressure, but it's, um, I... I heard a sportswoman say earlier this year that pressure is privilege, and I thought that was a really great yeah. way of encapsulating, yeah. you know, um, the fact that I have a responsibility now. People look to me to uh, cover this area mm. thoughtfully mm. and in the interests of young people, and I want to take that responsibility seriously. I'm in good health. Mm. I'm, you know, I've got the energy to be able to do it, and it suits me at this time in my life. So I think what you were talking about before is. 
our tendency in our 20s, I think, to obsess about the future and Absolutely. be very, very worried about Absolutely. it. And that is what characterises all our um, insecurities about finances. Mm -hmm. It's not about the, the money, it's about what the money represents. And for lots of people, um, money is, is about having to contemplate what will happen further down the line. And, and the future now is so unpredictable compared mm, to yesteryear. You know, we, we, I don't know where I'll be in another 10 years. Mm. And we are... Or five years. Or I mean, five I years. Or five next year. Or next <laughs> yeah, week. Exactly. Or tomorrow. Yeah, literally. It, it, it's so much more up in the air. And it's interesting what you were talking about before with the education system as it is at the moment. In the future, I don't think we will have this... I mean, I'm not the only person to say this. It's a very commonly accepted theory now that we won't have this three-stage life of education work and retirement we mm. will move between education work education more yeah. education yeah. oh some my mom likes to call it uh, my mom is works a lot in the future of work and all the, and she mm. likes to call it human leave um, you know oh, whether that's cool. it's I like yeah, that. I whether it's you know, male, female, whether it's you want to take some time off to travel, yeah. whether it's you want yeah. to do another course, come back to work. Because life is a long game now. Absolutely, you know. And if Absolutely. we're if we're potentially living into our eighties and nineties, this is the big issue that I have with mm. the financial industry when it talks about retirement and pensions. Yeah, I feel like it just belongs. Like you're working for that. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. it belongs to a different time. Yeah. It belongs to a different world. That yeah. world is, is changing Absolutely. right now. And there are speak. still careers, you know, doctors, lawyers, that are still have that, st you know, it's like, mm, okay, mm. you're working, what am I working for, mm. really? Okay, I'm working for a very good salary in my 40s and 50s, and then I'm working for a very good retirement. Mm. Okay, so what happens after that retirement? You retire age 60, 65, you live for another 30 years. Yeah. What is actually going to yeah. motivate you, you to for, carry on? For lots of people, it ends up, for me, seeming like they are working so hard for their whole life and saving mm, yes. in order to go into a nursing home. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just... Because yeah. it's so expensive. Mm. And if you are living for longer, then you are paying that money and you have to save... Your pension has to be even bigger if you want yeah. to do that. Yeah. Mm. And I just think we need to, exactly as you're saying, change I mean, this yeah. arc of this division. Yeah. Mm. Of, well, not mm -hmm. even necessarily nursing home, just to be retired. And then, okay, well, what do you do when you're retired like mm -hmm. what, there's no guarantees that you're going to have your grandchildren around or children around or that you know you may have a life partner at that point you may not mm -hmm. it's also so easy now to start your own business yep. to be on social media and start your own brand Absolutely. and do all these sorts of things and you know like how there are so many experienced individuals who are sort of in their 50s 60s 70s who want to be working yeah don't necessarily absolutely. have to my i mean my stepfather was asked to retire because he's, he's a lawyer he's been you know he's a senior partner at his law firm for years and years and years and eventually they just said you know it's our company policy i'm sorry but you you need to retire <laughs> and he's doing a million different things yeah you know, he's rushing yeah. off all the time yeah. doing different things yeah so it's just not going to be the same definitely as it not used to be it's funny because i work with my dad now um he mm. retired last year um but because the Young Money blog is, is growing and, and mm. I'm getting so much work and opportunities off the back of it. I needed to have somebody involved. And because he used to be a financial journalist, mm. he's got a lot of experience and knowledge in this Brilliant, area. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's got so much energy. Sometimes when I'm out with him, we went to an event the other day and I was panting trying to keep up with him. And he's 66. <laughs> I mm. cannot get over how much energy he's got. So it would just be such a waste if all that knowledge and experience mm. died when, when yeah. he retired. So I'm pleased to be able to draw on it. But unfortunately, yeah. I do think, you know, when I talk to people about it, they, they, it 
they think it's very odd still. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why would you be working yeah. with your dad and, and, and why would you be having this slightly, you know, strange model? Mm. But and equally, mm. you know, wanting to sign your life away at age 21, coming out of university, if full-time employment, you know, mm. there's this pressure to just be like, okay, I need to get a job straight away and I'm going to pretty much do, you know, 14-hour days or whatever it is and have very little holiday and it's yeah. like, I don't even know if this is what I want to do. And you're 21 mm. years old and that's still... So it's it's it's, 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 it's normalised. Yeah. yeah, it's about yeah. the culture, isn't it? And I, I think as time goes on, and with the advent of the internet, we have people who can, you know, establish platforms like me and say, hey, mm. here's, here are different viewpoints, here are different ways of doing things, let's destigmatise certain things that have seemed very odd in society up to mm. now, um, and, and let's just try to tolerate all these different ways of doing things. And let's try to have a financial industry that's more reflective of this very diverse way of doing things yeah. that we have now. So that's what I kind of am always banging the drum for. The second figure that we're going to be talking about today is that the mean gender pay gap for women working full time is 13.7%, as reported by ONS. And the difference between this mean gender pay gap and what was reported in April is that this is about pay disparity. So it's two people doing the same job and not being paid the same. Whereas what was reported in April is about the spread of women and men across a company and how many women there are in the top paid jobs. A good example of that is if you look at airlines. So um, the gender pay gap within airlines w- was huge, was, was much bigger than, than the average for, for companies. Um, but the reason was that most of their pilots are men. Mm. And pilots are on pretty good pay mm. because it's, it's quite a specialised job, you have to do a lot of training for it. Mm. Um, whereas uh, most of the um, stewards were women. Um, and it's a very important job and, it, and, and there's a debate to be had about whether or not stewards would be paid more, but it was because genders were somewhat, you know, normalised for those occupations within airlines. So, um, so I think that what you've got to bear in mind is that with unequal pay, we're talking about, say, I've got the same job as a man, mm. but I'm not paid the same as him. We fulfil the same duties, mm-hmm. we work the same hours, mm-hmm. we're not paid the same. And I remember when I was younger, we, we would talk about this sort of thing at school and it would be a case of if, you know, you had two people in an organisation, a man and a woman, we were in our sort of mid to late 20s or mid 30s, would there be a preference to give maybe the man more responsibility or promotion because there's an assumption that a woman may especially if she's married Mm. have a child or if she does come or if she does have a child to you know not give her the same opportunity as the male who is her age there are so many factors that are involved that are very hard to um to separate and and distinguish I think what you're talking about there is is those old-fashioned uh, notions of um, men who are more likely to be in the workplace for longer yeah. uh, and therefore, quote-unquote, be reliable as opposed <clears throat> to their female counterparts. But hopefully that is changing because we are developing a more enlightened idea Absolutely. about what men and women could be doing in order to share uh, childcare. 
Um, we're also moving away from presenteeism and this idea that men, you know, and women have to be in the office early till late, mm. out afterwards as well, often in the pub, drinking, having quite a, a laddish culture. Yeah. I feel like that culture has actually been imposed on men um, and that many of them are not happy with it and many of them oh would God. like to see exactly. a change, actually. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so as we move to, towards that world, maybe we will start to see some of those attitudes that you described die out, mm. whereby an employer mm. would think, well, this woman is not necessarily going to be as committed and as involved with my organisation as, as my male employee. Mm. We'll just have to be gender blind about that issue in the future, I think. Mm. So one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, obviously, about unequal pay is it's, it's a money issue, mm -hmm. but it's also because we have the Unequal Pay Day, which has been coined by the Fawcett Society, which is our charity of the month for November. This is their way of representing what the unequal pay gap means in terms of the calendar. Yeah. So essentially, from the 10th of November, the average woman is working for free for the rest of the year. Hmm. Yeah. So that puts that's, it into I'd, perspective. Yeah. So crazy that average yeah. unequal un illegal pay gap is yeah. about that actually hasn't shifted in the last three years no so i think there's an issue of research around there i'd, I'd like to see more organizations being proactive and actually looking into it and whether this is shifting or changing mm. but i think it's so difficult to actually pin it down because with it's unequal so... pay you could argue that the woman over there is doing a different job to the man over there but mm. they might then they might have job different job titles mm -hmm. but to all intents and purposes, they are actually doing the same job. Yes. So it's so difficult. Mm. And then the other thing I've spoken a lot about through my job in Starling, and I interviewed Laura, who you were on the panel with, mm -hmm. um, along with Otega and Alex Holder. All mm -hmm. three of them are writing books about money, mm -hmm. and we'll come on to your book about money mm -hmm. um, in the next section. But something that the article was focusing on was why we need to talk about money and the wider implications of when we talk about money, then we know if we're actually not being paid the same. Yes. What's your kind of view on why it's important to talk about money? I think that we are perhaps inculcated to believe that um, money is this very gauche and distasteful subject to discuss. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so hard. And, and it's a hang up from, from, from previous times. Um, when it, it was a way for people to protect their own privilege and their wealth as well. Um, but again, as we're moving into this more modern era where opportunity is more widely available for women, we have got a more egalitarian society. We could improve, obviously, but it has never been more egalitarian in terms of opportunities for women in the workplace. Um, therefore, it, it's not in keeping with, with women's interest now to be very reticent to talk about money. Um, I've had a very personal experience with this. I'm self-employed and the gender pay gap um, in the self-employed population is worse for uh, than in the full-time working population. And I think that also suggests that women are not always terrific at putting themselves forward, at negotiating the correct fees yes. and then um, actually making their freelance careers sustainable and that's been a real hobby horse for me in the last year or yeah. two. I realised I was being underpaid for certain opportunities because I went out for lunch with a, a contact of mine and I told him what my fee was for doing a piece of work and he said to me, just so you know, you should be charging at least twice that amount. Gosh, And wow. I, I, I went home and I screamed into my pillow and had to, yeah, had to really chill out and do some meditation mm. and get into a zen place 
uh, and then reflect on, on the fact that actually the person who was responsible for that happening primarily is me. Mm. Yes, there may have been some people who were, you know, trying it on and maybe thinking they could get away with it because I was young and female. But ultimately, it was down to me to find out what the market rate was, yeah. to go and talk to other people in my field, Absolutely. and then act accordingly. And that's what I did. What do you think that we can do to try and close this unequal pay gap between men and women? And also just mm. to highlight that we've, we're talking about gender in this particular mm. episode, mm -hmm. but there are pay gaps that exist in so many other aspects, like totally. sexual orientation, mm -hmm. race, mm -hmm. all sorts of different ageism. That would also mm -hmm. be another one. Definitely. Um, but when it comes to gender, what do you think that we can do? to close this unequal pay gap between men and women? There's no easy overnight solution, either on the part of individuals or government. It's going to take, um, I think, years for us to close this gap because it's not just about um, the numbers on paper. It's about assessing how we see our roles in society and, and, and what we think are suitable jobs for women. Mm. Um, and also sorting out the situation at the moment where um, men and women can't actually get equal parental leave that it's yeah. more favorable if a guy goes back to work sooner than than a woman after having a child which is again inequality mm. it's complete inequality that's baked into the system yeah which is why i love the example of jacinda arden just putting it out there mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah 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 absolutely it was very yeah. very brave that she was able to so brave to, to i can't imagine how much criticism she got for mm. Mm. yeah and i think as well, you know, if you if you look at pensions, it's it's a system that time and again favours guys over women, and we need to have a much fairer, much more mm. liberal system that allows for women and men to take time out of work for caring, for childcare, mm. for for parental care as well as as we have elderly relatives, because yeah. that that also is beneficial for the state in in the sense that you know the the amount of you know, unpaid care that women do in society is enormous. And yes. they're not they're Huge. not rewarded for that in, in our current yeah. system. So let's get to a point where it's shared more equally, that that contribution is recognised. But also, yes, of course, you know, it, it, it is down to each individual um, to make sure that um, she knows what the market rate is for her work, whether she's in full-time work or, or self-employed like me. Um, and that you've got to keep checking in and making mm. sure that you are at that level mm -hmm. and that you aren't in a position that's becoming very common now where you are working, um, you are supposed to be working four days and you're getting paid for four days work but you're actually doing five days work. Mm. That's happening to so many women um, and it's because we've, we're very conscientious. I know this, I'm, I'm somebody who will, you know, want to really um, step up and, and, and do as much work and please my clients and, and, and get the job done. And if it means spending a bit more time on it, then so be it. But unfortunately, that does mean that what you end up having is women um, working more and earning less mm. than men. And I think, yeah, I agree with everything that you said, but I think the other thing to mention is financial education, which will bring us onto your book, mm -hmm. Spare Change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The third figure for this week is the front cover of Iona's book, Spare Change, Better Ways to Manage Money. And I love that it is a piggy bank because mm. that to me was my first encounter, I think with a lot of as a lot of people with money when I was a I young never girl. I never had a piggy bank. 
Did you not? No. And I don't think I had a bank account until I was well into my teens. Oh. Which is quite interesting. Because yeah. when I interviewed um, Otega and Alex and Laura about this, I think there was a, a little relationship between financial conflict mm -hmm. and how old they were when they opened their first oh, bank account. interesting, okay. Yeah. Which was really interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because scientific bods reckon that we form our financial attitudes by the time we're eight. So Ooh, if we're... So young. Yeah, if we're getting all our ideas about money at such a young age, then, yeah, it's easy to see how that will then shape our relationship with money for the rest of mm. our life. Yeah. Can I just say that the book is absolutely lovely. It's oh. so beautiful to just mm. look at and I could just dip into yeah. a bit of it and that's, just read it. That's the great thing about it. Yeah, you don't it's have great. to be reading it from start to finish yeah. and, and get incredibly involved. You can kind of dip in and out. Um, it's published by a company called Hardy Grant, which normally does lifestyle books. Mm. And this was the first time they'd done a money handbook in this way. Um, and I think the approach really works because You've got to got to do things like have amazing illustrations and yeah, really eye-catching quotes and checklists and things. You've got to bring this subject to life, um, and I think that approach really helps. Absolutely. Mm. So um, what is the story behind the yes. cover? Yes, what is the cover? And also, when did you start to write it and how long did it take? I'm aware that those yeah. are a lot of questions, so go with the cover first. I'll go with the cover first. <laughs> so um, it relates to... Uh, really the the catalyst for me starting the blog the the experience that made me realize that i was going to have to get on top of my money um i i was a mus musician as i was saying earlier on and i was mm. working in glasgow and um i was getting my um earnings from from these gigs that i was doing with this um singer and i was putting the earnings from these gigs in a piggy bank at home in edinburgh and i remember coming home one night and going up to my room and it was a tip it was in complete disarray and I thought to myself this is odd because I, I think I'm quite a neat person so did I leave it like this before I left and then the second thought was have my parents been in here like going through all my stuff mm. and then the third thought was oh no it's neither of those options I've been burgled no yeah and uh, the window was open and there was like footsteps on the floor and the room was no yeah, and was trashed. the piggy bank gone the piggy bank was gone and oh it, my it was it was pretty devastating because I mean if you've never been burgled oh before, my gosh I I can't gutting. even imagine what that must feel like yeah it was really pretty horrible awful. yeah yeah and but because that's... that's the only money that I'd earned you know by my own fair hand by that point mm. I I just felt like it was it wasn't just money that had been robbed it was like my financial independence yeah. and part of me had been robbed it was it was a real violation but I remembered later on that night we called the police they came round to the house. They took a statement, and I'll always remember giving a, like a description of the piggy bank to the police officer. What does it look like? Is it similar to what's it was on the cover? Very similar. Yeah, so yeah. Pig, I don't traditional. Yeah, very actual pig. It was very. It was a very conventional pig. It didn't have a twirly whirly tail. And the police officer asked, you know, did it have a tail? I couldn't remember. I, was like, I think maybe. It did. Was it something that your parents had given you? Yeah, I think so. And I think they, they thought that it was a good way to get me saving. And, and, and I suppose, you know, at that stage when I didn't have very much money, then, yeah, I, I wasn't going to be investing it, you know, in, in, in risque mm. stocks. I, of course, I was going to be putting it in a piggy bank. But that was the moment where I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to step up here because it seems that I've always been all right with money. But I think that was the point when I realised mm. that being all right with money was, was not going mm. to necessarily cut the mustard. Yeah. What do you think about those labels being good with money and bad with money? 
is do we impose them on ourselves oh, or are oh, they imposed yeah, on us no i think i think that it's a combination of the two i think that we as as a culture um like to celebrate people being rubbish with money and in some respects you know that that can be you know quite quite a relief to people because mm. actually I, I don't want to ever set myself up as an expert that, that's got everything down pat. I think that's really alienating, especially mm. to younger people. Um, you know, being good with money is not some end game. It's it's a continual process. And I think it fluctuates as well. Mm. And I think that just like almost every label, it boxes people in and totally. they feel that they can't get out of it. Mm. And Laura had something really good to say about this. She said that it's like someone saying, I'm really unfit. Yes. And then yes. thinking that they can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But you just need to get into the habits and think about it and talk about it and just sit down and not be scared and shy away from it. Absolutely. Was that the thinking behind writing the book? It was. was it where was. did that start? What do you think, actually, I need to get all of these ideas in a physical on physical paper? Well, I was approached by Hardy Grant to write the book but I was very determined not to make it a dry, prose-dominated mm. book that, that told you, you know, how to get the best savings deal. You know, we've seen that before, you can read that elsewhere, and I don't think that approach works for younger people. What I wanted to do was to take it right back to basics and ask some of the questions that you were just talking about there. You know, why do people have this belief about themselves that they're bad with money? Where does it start? Mm. And is there anything we can do to change it? So when I was researching the book, I read up a, a lot on psychology and things like cognitive behavioural therapy, mm. and it was fascinating because I realised how much, you know, we can change our attitudes even as we get older and it seems like we're stuck in our ways. You know, neuroplasticity, the idea that actually um, it's, it's not events, it's our reaction to events mm. that then, mm. you know, shape it's decisions. reaction, not action. Exactly. Um, so within the book, I talk about, you know, that I take the readers through certain exercises that, you know, really encourage you to think about what your priorities are in life and what your values are, whether you're living by those values. Um, and then looking at those beliefs such as I need to be great at maths. Um, yeah. You know, being good with money is, is also it's not the thing to do because money is evil in some way, you know, it props up a really unfair, corrupt system. Or I don't want to be stingy, or I don't or want to be... Stingy. Yeah, I don't want to end up being that yeah. uh, that guy or yeah. that girl. Or it's kind of, it's not that cool to be yeah. really good with money and really yeah. be mm. super sorted with it's what you're doing. It's the same with, you know, yeah, alcohol yeah. and going out. If, you, if, if someone says to you, oh, I'm not really drinking at the moment, you, you know, I'm not saying I think this because mm. I've been that person, mm. but society's like, oh, I'm a bit boring. Or, well, this, oh, but again, that? that is changing. Or, oh, God. That is changing because and if actually, you know, that's a totally okay choice for yeah. them to make same with being okay with money or you yeah. know, what you want to do on the weekend like, but, it's up to you but it's funny how these these norms do change mm. you, you mm. think that I mean I think it's been really pervasive for millennials that mindset of let's go out let's get drunk let's forget you know all our problems in the world but if you look at the next generation generation Z and you see statistics for how much they're smoking and drinking and taking drugs less. it's incredible the drop and I think mm. it's because uh, they kind of look at the world now and go, oh my God, things are quite tricky and we're going to have to be on it. We're going to have to have our shit together mm. and therefore I want to be in good health. And I think that will also extend to money. I think a lot of them will think, I've got to be, I've got to 
not be good with money because I don't think that label helps. But I've got to be thinking about money, and yeah. I've got to try to be and making talking about money, talking about money, exercising. Exactly. You know, the, the sort of this notion of actually, let's break down that sort of. I, maybe what it is is millennials had so much pressure in the mm. sense that they needed to be, you know, kind of bringing all the things we were talking about in this episode about I need to be employed full time, I need to get a job with mm-hmm, a very high mm-hmm. paying salary, I need to have all these things. I don't really want to talk about. I can money. have it all. I can have mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. And then I also Absolutely. need to go and forget every Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Okay, not really having it all if that's the... No, it's not a functional, yeah. sustainable model because I think I saw a really fantastic analysis a while back of why millennials have that mindset and it's because of baby boomers growing up in an era where mm-hmm. they had, you know, fairly modest expectations about what they would get out of life. You know, it was mm. after the war. Absolutely. It was fairly tough in the early period after the war. Still had rationing. My mum grew up with rationing. She came from a very poor background and now, you know, she has a comfortable middle-class existence. And her attitude, like so many baby boomers, is the world is my oyster. For her children, she thinks that they can achieve so anything. much, anything, because yeah. the world is so much more open. And it is, but there are certain economic, you know, um, barriers and, and, and um, restrictions on what we can and mm. can't do. And then the expectations are so much higher. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. high. Mm-hmm. They are. They are. So and, 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 and obviously the internet feeds that. Yeah. And when we're surrounded by you know, these these really heightened, elevated uh, role models and benchmarks for what yeah. we could be doing, we're always falling short Or of 21 under 21, like it was, or like last week we were talking about Leonardo yeah, da Vinci. Very, and I was like, okay, we don't need to be an incredible artist, inventor, no. and a scientist, and all of these things. Like, you're going to compare yourself it's... to Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> no, I know. But, but, but I, I tried to make that point, no, no, I tried to make that point last week in the sense that if your goal in life is to have a healthy family and to have, you know, a home and you know exist very calm you know i don't know i don't even want to label that Mm. as a as a goal goal because it can be anything but i think you and i both feel this a lot of our times we'll be talking about okay all these different people around us are doing this this and this why am i not doing this why do i not have i think the key to that you know it's very stressful and that's a gen z millennial problem and we're kind of on the border of that i think the key to that is to try to be as independent minded as possible so Mm. i'm very fortunate that being self-employed i i can i feel be very independent but i think anybody can foster that independent mindset Mm. and it doesn't mean being a hermit Mm. it doesn't mean not having a social life or, or relating and empathizing to other people but i do think that peer pressure is a huge factor in why people feel very anxious about yeah. money because as soon as friends I quote you know the author of The Godfather in my book when he talks about friendship uh, and money is like oil and water they don't mix in many ways you yeah. bring yeah. money it's always into been a those thing, relationships isn't it? even in Sex and City and Fred like even those really oh, Sex and the City explore money in not yeah. very many episodes mm. but so well mm. and how Carrie says I just want to have my money where I can see it hanging in my wardrobe and then she calculates mm. how much she spent on shoes which is totally unrealistic yeah, anyway, yeah. Because she's a journalist living in Manhattan, and I, I don't think any of it is very realistic. Yeah, but I think yeah. she ends up seeing how much she spent, and that she actually could have bought out her flat almost by if she had not bought so many pairs of shoes. Yeah, it's it's sort of the unglamorous reality behind yeah. the very glamorous facade. And then there's the sort of borrowing from friends. No, yes, yeah. I don't. And Charlotte doesn't offer her money, and Carrie's really offended, and she just goes, "But no, this is not." how it's going to work no but I think 
they did touch on something very interesting there between very, very close friends where mm-hmm. money becomes a friction point. Mm. And then relationships as well with Miranda and Steve, mm. where Miranda is earning so much more than Steve is. Sorry to anyone who's listening who doesn't like Sits in the City. This is all No, no, but it's a, metaphor for, it's a metaphor for generally. Like if, you're, if, you're, if you're earning more than your partner is, and if you're a woman, oh, yeah. that can be really difficult. Yeah. Um, and even like splitting the bill at the end yeah. of a meal. Yeah, I've got strong thoughts about this so I'm a massive believer that when you go out on dates you split the bill and you pay your way because it's it's about not using money to alter the the power dynamic in a relationship Mm -hmm. in that way keeping money out of those dynamics is so crucial Um, and generally speaking I talk about you know money and relationships in the book because people don't want to bring it up because they worry it'll spoil the romance but it does have to be discussed and I think that the best way of you know minimizing friction and and maintaining harmony is to keep finances separate because I think for the older generations as well it has worked out in lots of cases where they've merged their finances but if you look at the prospects for older divorced women now it's clear to see that getting into that relationship and depending on their partner and and entrusting all their finances to their partner has been really devastating for them. And I think younger women have seen that and yeah, have gone, absolutely. I don't want to be in that position. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. So I think that, that now the, the, the younger woman realises those risks and thinks, you know yeah. what, it's probably safer to just keep my money where I can see it. Mm. Maybe not in my wardrobe, <laughs> yeah. but in my bank account. Yeah. Um, that works for you. But, but, is, but I, think, I, think, I think that's also, it takes time for maybe men of our generation to accept to that. accept. Oh, totally, totally. I don't think it's very easy. Like, <laughs> I think it's you find it very easy or comfortable. No, I went on a date with a guy once mm. who um, said to me, he insisted on paying for the, for, the, for, the, um, for the meal and drinks that we had. And I was like, no, I really want to pay my way. You know, mm. I was trying to be polite, but I was mm. being very insistent. And he said, well, um, you are a journalist, whereas I work in IT. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, I don't think you and I are going to go on a d- but another then that's day. The <laughs> yeah. Because you're looking at money in terms of that figure, that number, yeah. as equating to your self-worth in some way. Yeah, and it's... And your success in your career. And you can't mm, compare it's it. It's preposterous, because for all he knew, I could have had a really good nest egg, I could have had good savings, I could have been a very high-earning journalist. He's just made a whole bunch yeah. of assumptions about me based on a job title, you know, yeah. and, and past knowledge that he's had about that. So yeah. I think, actually, a lot of guys today are much more alive to this whole area. Yeah. Mm. And if a girl makes it very clear that she wants to pay her way... Yeah. You know, I think as part of the whole Me Too movement, guys know that they have to respect what women's boundaries and yeah. what women's rights are in these situations. And uh, that means allowing women to pay their way if that's what they want. Yeah. And I also think, just further to the point about money and romance, I think there's a lot of... Um, and I, certainly I felt this way when I was mm. younger. Not not now, necessarily. Um, that the idea of a prenup or a prenuptial agreement or keeping money maybe out of a marriage let's yes, say yeah was oh that's so unromantic you're assuming you're going to get divorced mm. you're assuming all this no what the assumption is is that we're going to be on this planet potentially for 60 more years mm-hmm. all sorts of things could happen mm-hmm. okay so no we're not planning for a divorce right now no um it's not about that what it's about is is almost taking money out of it because if something were to happen 20 30 40 years down mm-hmm. the line and money you know, things get bitter, things get difficult, things get hostile, that's 
a whole issue that's just sort of maybe more alleviated yeah. if you have that understanding. And it means you're going into it maybe more as equals. Not necessarily. You can go into a marriage as equals without a prenup. It's completely individual to the scenario. Yes. And I feel like this is a concept that it just didn't cross my mind. When I was younger, I just thought prenup equals non-romance. Prenup equals... Saying your uh, vows and thinking that saying it's, not and thinking it's, it's not going to last forever. It's not going to last. But actually... Yeah. It's not really about... It's already about, And I wanted to know your opinion on that. For me, it's a m- more radical question of, of marriage. Yeah, that, no, I thought, I thought so. But, yeah, I thought so. Versus, versus civil partnerships, right. versus cohabiting, versus yeah. Yeah. Um, b- being in a relationship, versus being single. Yeah. All these different options um, that are now available and, yeah. and that especially those that are tending towards the single end of the spectrum becoming destigmatized and normalized which Definitely. is a good thing mm. um but i think in this country unfortunately we still have a, a system whereby i was reading the other day about in france they have four different types of civil partnership that allow for you know various financial arrangements to be agreed within the the couple within the partnership which to me sounds like a very enlightened approach to what is otherwise a very very fraught area so if Mm. you get married or if you were to have a civil partnership um you know the problem is that it is very difficult to extract yourself from that arrangement um and that financially you do end up because you're getting a lot of those benefits those tax benefits you do Mm. end up you know pooling your income and mortgage yeah it, it it does it does just get very messy and complicated um so i think you know younger women today who are entering into relationships I think they're just much more mindful of the risks Mm. generally of you know getting the emotion and the romance and the feelings and the hormones which all happen in the early stages of relationship we've all been there um, getting that mixed up with the finances Um, and it's not easy and it takes time it takes practice and you probably will have some difficult experiences along the way but I think you do get better as time goes on. Of assessing whether you're financially compatible, whether your partner will respect mm. you for having financial independence, whether they will, um, you know, not feel like money equals power in the yeah. relationship either. Yeah. That they will be able, if, if they I want feel to... feel uneasy about you having a higher salary. I feel yeah, like that's true. such... Even, I feel like people it's don't not like, admit it's not that, like a, but it is a thing. It doesn't besmirch their manhood yeah, if, you, yeah. if you happen to earn more. Or, but it comes into the whole thing of unequal pay as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And equality generally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. And just yeah. having... I mean, it's about just basic human respect for, mm-hmm. you know, other people's situations, other people's jobs, other ways of... other people's ways of doing things. And I think um, a really great way of looking at relationships and potentially marriage and civil partnerships is that it should be about interdependence Mm. rather than dependence Mm -hmm. on each other so Mm -hmm. you know now we have to go out and work I feel because of the cost of living we cannot give up work we cannot become reliant on partners necessarily because Mm. it just costs so much to to live today so whilst that's the case guys need to get on board with that and understand that whilst we're going out and earning our own living we're totally within our rights to then manage our own money and keep you know, some, if not a lot of that money separate from them. And that's, that's not, that's not us, you know, Mm. not 
being in love with them or not respecting them. That's just us doing what we need to do. Mm, totally. So my final question is, if you were going to be writing this book again today, mm -hmm. what would you add to it? That's a great question. Because how, when was it that it was published? <laughs> it was published in 2016. Okay. And in many ways, I think it was a bit too soon um, because... As you said, no, but you before, can always write another book. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really, really want to. And, and in the next one, what I want to talk about um, are much more of these wider issues that we've touched on tonight. And also, mm. I want to talk about investing in pensions because mm. they've become big issues that I've talked about a lot mm. on the blog in the last couple of years. Um, because there's just a black hole in terms of young people's knowledge and understanding of those areas. Definitely. And I think we need a mini revolution whereby a whole generation understands that it's it's about the whole sweep of their lives and the fact that their money has got to last them this whole lifespan which could be into their 80s and 90s um, and that what used to be accepted and traditional about how you ought to live your life is changing and therefore you know it's very much to your advantage to manage your money and manage your investments and therefore get to grips with what investing means because if you have a workplace pension you are investing and that's a really common misconception that people have mm. and it's partly because we talk about saving into a pension but actually you are you are effectively investing in the stock market through your pension and hopefully mm. you know if you if you're in the right pension scheme they will be managing the risks but there are risks in being in the stock market and there are, you know, better ways of doing it than, than other ways of doing it. Um, and I just think there needs to be so much more open discussion on this whole topic. And I would like to talk much more about the issue of women and money as well, because I feel like it mm. is exploding into mm, the mainstream. Absolutely. Well, bringing those two together, I just listened to an episode of Ways to Change the World with Krishnan Gurumurthy interviewing right. Helena Morrissey. And she yes, quoted I, I've listened to that. Helena Morrissey is a total girl hero of mine. She's incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. And she quoted this stat, the average woman's pension is one-fifth of a man's average pension. It's appalling. That is such a huge difference. Yeah. But I think that so much of it is that you you don't know what a pension is and investing seems terrifying mm -hmm. and only for people who have so much money that mm -hmm. they can afford to go and yeah. move it around on the stock market. Mm -hmm. And it's made to seem very scary because there are acronyms and everything seems all jargon and you don't understand it, so how can you participate in it? Yeah, mm. I would say two points there. Um, one is that um, one of the reasons why it seems so scary and daunting is because the financial industry is populated by people that are not like us, yeah. for the most part. That needs to change. Mm. We need to have a much more diverse financial industry. And I'm not just talking about Completely gender or, or other characteristics, I'm also talking about age. Mm. So I'm working with um, the Next Generation Pensions Committee and our whole aim is to give younger people in the pensions industry, uh, whether they're trustees or you know pension scheme administrators, whatever role they have, or people like me who are commentators, we want to have a greater say about pensions because we think that will mm. then create change that will benefit more of society. Um, and the second point I would make is that that gender pensions gap is the new frontier for this whole, um, you know, uh, conversation. for this conversation that we've been having about the gender pay gap. I think hopefully in another couple of years time, we'll all be talking about the gender prosperity gap. Mm. And that will, just as much as the gender pay gap has, create all these 
questions about, you know, why are women not investing as much as men? Is it because they are more cautious than men are and they don't necessarily go for those more high mm. risk options? I think there's a confidence gap that plays yeah, into money uh, on so many yeah, things. E- exactly. Um, and beyond money, but yes. Yeah, beyond definitely. beyond money, but, but, yeah, but I, for sure I, for money. I sort of feel like it's a bit like that Aussie hair shampoo slogan. They mm. say that, you know, um, hair is not everything. Hair's not the meaning of life, but it's a pretty good place to start. I kind of feel the same about money. Mm. It's not the meaning of life. It's not everything. It's not everything to me, definitely. But it's a good place to start. If you feel more in control of your money, you're going to feel a whole lot more in control of everything else, I think. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Figure Podcast. Thank you so much, Iona, Thank for you. joining it's us. It's been great fun. I've loved it. Yes, please come back. I will do. Anytime, <laughs> next yeah. book, or just in the next couple of months. It was so interesting to have this conversation. I think it's really, really, really important. Um, and as usual, um, you can contact us by emailing us at thefigurepodcast at gmail.com and through Twitter and Instagram as well, uh, where all our images and figures and all the information as to where to find Iona will be. But where can we find you? Where can listeners find you? And where can we find your book? Um, Okay, so you can uh, check out my blog. It's youngmoneyblog.co.uk. You can get my book from an ethical bookseller in Edinburgh called The One World Shop. Um, I'll be providing a link uh, for that as well on the Mm -hmm. webpage. And you can follow me on Twitter. That's where I um, shout about what I've been up to recently. Mm. Um, And that's at Iona Young Money. Fantastic. Yes, we'll have that on our Twitter as well. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, it was so fun. Thanks for having me. Until next week.